Good morning, again. Y'all doing good? All right. You know, last week, uh, we had the opportunity to celebrate Timothy Mitchell's 17 years here at Ebenezer, and we're so appreciative, as you got to hear from them today, and the heart that they have for our next-gen ministry. But we also have someone this week who reached a milestone as well. Miss Deborah Jordan hit 10 years of service to our church this week. And we want to let her know how much we appreciate her. Because I'm going to tell you what, she puts up with a lot. Amen, Joe. That's right. She puts up with Caleb and me and Crosby and Fred, and that's more than a full-time job. But, but seriously, we list her as our bookkeeper and accountant, but she does so much more. The reason you have these study guides every Sunday is because of Miss Deborah. And Miss Deborah, we appreciate you, we love you, and happy 10-year serviversary. I didn't know what else to say in that way. You know, this week, um, some of you had asked, like, what had gone on and where we went. Um, Caleb and Steve Payson and I had the opportunity to fly to Nicaragua and visit our church, Ebenezer, in Bongo. Some of you uh, that are new to our church may not realize that we have an Ebenezer in Nicaragua, which is southwest of the capital, Managua. And so last Monday, we boarded a plane and we flew down. And we had the opportunity to uh, just kind of take a tour and reconnect. And we went uh, to hang out with Will, Pastor Will, and his family. Um, As you can see in the picture up here, his kids have grown up, right? Some of you remember uh, Willito, their oldest, is about to start dental school. Uh, Kenneth, that's down at the bottom of that, that was at the bottom of that photo, he's just two weeks older than my son. He's 12, but I'm telling you, he is a child prodigy. And you're going to see an example of that in a few seconds. Cause I, I, and, and then there's little Tammy um, that was in there as well. And when we showed up, like they had told them, told Kenneth and little Tammy to prepare a song for us. And she's like, this kid sits at you and watches YouTube and picks these songs up. And like Steve Payson was going, well, can you play Bach? And he goes, and he said, can you play Tchaikovsky? And then I asked him, so can you play this video game uh, song that my, my son has like, tried to learn uh, from YouTube, and he starts playing it. It was insane. But, you know, it was, it was such a blessing to be able to see what Will is doing, what Ebenezer is doing. We got to go to the church, and we got to visit with the community. And a lot of you, 15 years ago, who were a part of that initial work, those kids that you saw there are now the adults who had kids. We learned that they lost around 30 people to covid in that community. And it was sad, we were saddened to hear about that. But here's the, here's the thing. Will has made so many connections in the area. Uh, in Nicaragua, the pastors have to be registered. Their churches have to be registered. And they have to take classes every year. Well, get to the teacher of those classes are. Will. And so we have some awesome opportunities coming up. We got to see Matt and Selena Crenshaw, while we were there, we were traveling through, got to visit with them for a little bit. And while we were there, a guy came up and asked for food. So there is an impact going on, and I believe that God's hand is on that work in Nicaragua. So I'm telling you now to begin praying, because our church will be on the ground in Nicaragua in 2024. And so I'm excited about what that's going to look like. I, I could give you a list of things that we saw down there. But time will, I could probably preach a sermon on it. Would y'all rather me do that than go to Hebrews? But if you can't tell, it was a very good trip. Except when we flew home and we were over the Gulf of Mexico. 
and there was a thunderstorm over Miami, and we circled the Everglades for seven laps. And the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we must be diverted to Fort Myers so we can get more gas. And so we did not land on time. We uh, landed in Fort Myers, and then we finally made it to Miami. An hour and a half in customs, we went to a hotel, and we flew home Thursday morning. But even in that, you know what else was cool? I got to hang out with two of the greatest guys on the face of this planet, Caleb and Steve. I enjoyed so much our time together. We got to eat together. We, 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 we rode together. I mean, we, we did everything together. And when you do that, you get to deepen relationships. And so I want to encourage you, in a few months, we're going to come out with a 2024 vision for missions in our church. And you just need to be praying because I hope that it's going to rock your world. Because God is opening up opportunities for our church to be a light in dark places. So take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 39. When I became a Christian, um, right before I left to go to Georgia Tech in 1995, I went to Tech in the fall of 95 and into 96. Um, Christian music became part of my story and my testimony. In March of 95, I was invited by a small group of friends to go to a concert, a Christian concert. And the main band was this band called Dakota Motor Company. I don't understand the name. They no longer exist. But the opening band, who is usually like a band trying to get started, might be a little more known to you by the name of Third Day. I follow Third Day for years, still follow. I love their songs. I call some of their songs hymnology because I believe they wrote from the heart. And that was very instrumental. The th- song Thief, do you remember the song Thief? That, that song changed my life. To think about the perspective of the thief hanging on the cross with Jesus. It, it, was, it was instrumental. And so I began to you know, just kind of get, get into that, that, that scene. And one of the other bands that was particularly cool to me was the band called DC Talk. And a lot of you, you know, Toby Mack and all the Michael Tate and those guys. And when I would commute to Georgia Tech from my coming home, um, I would put the song Jesus Freak on. Because if you drive in traffic, I love Chris Tomlin, but you can't really drive in traffic to Chris Tomlin. Um, but, but Jesus Freak, I mean, that's a great song to drive in traffic, um, unless you hit the car in front of you. I didn't do that. But it, I mean, it just, it's, it's a good song, and I loved listening to it. Well, around about the end of the 90s, in cooperation with Voices of the Martyrs, uh, DC Talk and Voices of the Martyr compiled a book called Jesus Freaks. This is not my original copy because I've loaned my book to someone and they kept it. Um, but this book changed my life. The subtitle of this is Stories of Those Who Stood for Jesus, the Ultimate Jesus Freaks. And in this book... And if you want a copy, they've just revised and updated it, um, Amazon. It's on Amazon. Grab one. There's a story that, that, that really moved me, and if it's okay, I, I'd like to read that story to you. Is, is that okay? And I've, I've lined out some things in here that are a little bit edgy. The story's entitled, More Love to Thee, which is actually a hymn. And it's about a Pastor Kim and his congregation in North Korea in the 1950s. For years, Pastor Kim and his 27 flock members of Korean saints had lived in hand-dug tunnels beneath the earth. 
Then as the communists began to invade and were building roads, they discovered the Christians that were living underground. The officials brought them out before a crowd of 30,000 in the village of Goksan for a public trial and execution. The communists said, Deny Christ or you will die. And the Christians refused. At this point, the head communist officer ordered... 20 years later, ordered four children to be seized from the group and had them prepared to be hanged. With ropes tied around their necks, the officer again commanded their parents to deny Jesus. No one would comply. They simply looked at their children and said, we'll see you in heaven. And the children passed. Then the officer called for a steamroller to be brought in. And he forced the Christians to lie on the ground in its path. And as the engine revved, they were given one last chance to recant their faith in Jesus. And again, they refused. And as that steamroller began to inch forward, the Christians began to sing a song that they had often sung together. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to thee. Let sorrow do its work, more love to thee. Then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry my heart shall raise. More love, O Christ, to thee. The execution was then reported to the North Korean press as an act of suppressing superstition. I probably could go ahead and pray now, right? This book is full of stories just like that. Because ladies and gentlemen, this is the definition of a martyr. This is the definition of what we see in Hebrews 12.1 when it says that you and I are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That word is the word martyr. Throughout the scripture we read of those bearing witness. Well, what in the world is it that they're bearing witness to? In Revelation chapter 6, when the Lamb begins to open the seals, And the first four seals are the horsemen. But when he gets to the fifth seal, he says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The definition is, of a martyr. The passage to exist in this cloud of witnesses. In fact, church history teaches us the following, that Peter and Paul most likely were martyred around the same time in 66 AD under Nero. Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way Jesus did. Andrew is said to have been crucified when he went to the land of the man-eaters, which is now known as the Soviet Union. 
Thomas, another of the disciples, is believed to have made it all the way to India where they claim that he died there when pierced through with spears, with the spears of four soldiers. Philip most likely died in Asia Minor where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, the author of the first gospel of our New Testament, is reported was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Some contest this, but we know he died. Bartholomew's journey is very unclear as there's very, very uh, many accounts of why and how he died, but he died a martyr nonetheless. The apostle James the Less, small James, little James, was most likely stoned and clubbed to death according to the historian Josephus. Simon the Zealot is believed to have died when, as the story goes, he ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, who replaced Judas in Acts chapter 1 after Judas killed himself, is believed to have died in Syria with Andrew and died being burned to death. So what were they bearing witness to? What were they willing to lay down their life for? How in the world did they have the courage to stand in front of sinners and to willingly yield their life? I got the answer. It's the resurrection. You see, our faith hinges on a key point in time that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was raised back to life. And he promised... Say promise. He promised that he would raise us back to life as well. If we would put our faith and trust in him, there is no thing on this earth that can hold me back from what God has called me to do. No one can snuff out my life because he can give me my life back. He said, I have come to give you life, that you would have it and have it more abundantly. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives and dwells inside of you and me. And so I tell and I ask you, what would ever hold you back from bearing witness to the same? You see, Caleb asked us weeks ago, what gets us out of bed? I think I can answer that for me with a lot of specificity. My goal in life is to inspire, equip, and encourage people to have the kind of faith that can go through the storm. I'm not in here to create a cheering squad. I'm here to help you and to help me to be encouraged that no matter what comes into my life, I can endure it because Jesus endured the cross. And that's good news, ladies and gentlemen. From those people who were steamrolled in China all the way to Matthew being being killed, we can survive and get through anything. And that's the point of this text today. We have based our life on a promise. The promise that we, just like it says in 1135, might obtain a better resurrection. Because ladies and gentlemen, there's another time coming, hopefully soon coming, where Jesus is no longer going to be sitting. He's going to stand up. Y'all with me? 
We don't think about the future. We're stuck. We live in a culture where humanism has so invaded our thoughts and our lives. We think of us first in almost everything. But I want to tell you, Jesus is coming back. I want to remind you that Jesus is coming back. And as Fred shared with us last week, I don't need to play with my sin. I need to deal with my sin. I need to make a choice of whether I hate the things God hates and love the things God loves. I need to get so angry with sin, I'm tired of it messing up my life, that I'm tired of it holding me down. And as this passage we're about to read says, we're going to run like Forrest Gump. She said to run, and so I ran. That's what we need. We need a little juice in our steps, and we need to run the race. That's the primary verb of what we're about to read. So if you have your Bible marked and ready, would you mind standing as we read God's word? And I'm just telling you, man, this this has got me so fired up that I want you to leave today more inspired than ever to not walk the faith walk, to not trot the faith walk, to not crawl the faith walk, but to get up and run and run with everything that you have because time is drawing near where Christ is gonna come back and we won't have the opportunity to share the gospel anymore. You won't have that opportunity to receive the gospel anymore. It'll be over. And that's a very sobering thought. It's a very challenging thought. And when we read stories like this one out of China, these people watch their children die and they refuse to recant their faith in Christ. There are days coming where that will be present in America. Mark our words, because America's not in the book of Revelation. It's not there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 says this, and all of these, if you did our Bible study this week, man, it was so rich, the hall of faith, all these men who were made these promises, some of them received those minute promises, some of them did not. They were operating in faith in God. God was the object of their faith, not the promise. He was the fulfillment. This is what it says. Having gained approval through their faith, you can write 11.6 right beside that because 11.6 said, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. They did not receive what was promised. Well, that's kind of a letdown, isn't it? No, because listen, he says, because God had provided something better. Say better. I love that word. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. I want you to pay close attention that these pronouns are second person plural. It's not Jesus died for me. Jesus died for us. Yes, I know there's a song when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. No, when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. That's more proper theology. Is he, that, makes, that means I've got to break out of this me-centric shell. So he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of martyrs surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run. Say run. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the beginner, the ruler, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice the author didn't connect the points there? He went from the cross to his seat on the throne. But what did he have to go through to get there? The resurrection. Jesus is alive, ladies and gentlemen. He is alive and sits on that throne. And had he not been raised from the dead, every one of us in this room would still be stuck in our sin. In verse number three, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you do not grow weary and in growing weary, you do not lose heart. Father, as we dig into this for the next few moments, let us inspire us to fix our gaze, our eyes only, solely on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. And so I want to back up just a little bit into chapter 11, verse number 13, because I want to really emphasize that this promise is something that no one has yet received. It says in verse 13 of chapter 11, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This promise of new life, this promise of resurrection, this promise of a new city is the promise that is sitting right in front of us and is a gift that God has given us because of what Christ did on the cross. And the only thing holding me back from having that promise it's me. It's me. It's recognizing that I am a sinner. That I cannot approach a holy God without dealing with my sin. But Jesus died on the cross to take my sin away. And when I put my faith in him, he forgives me. He cleanses me and gives me access to the presence of God. Do you believe that? That's the essence of the gospel, is it not? And because we have this promise of life, this hope of life, we press forward. We don't walk back. We don't go back to where we came from. We don't continue doing the things that we claimed we repented from. We press forward, as Paul said in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. He even said it. I'm not perfected yet. Just like these Old Testament saints have not been perfected yet. He said, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We press forward to a city that is to come, a place that is to come, the ultimate place of hope. And so when we look at this text in verse 1139 and in the study guide, the first point is this. I wanna give you, I wanna give you what I say are six um, basically uh, results of focusing our faith on Christ and this better promise, this better resurrection. Number one, it makes me hold out for greater. I love Snickers. My favorite blizzard, if I haven't told you already, is a Snickers blizzard with no chocolate syrup. Because some of you in here, you love chocolates. You want more chocolate on top of your chocolate. I love the tension between vanilla and chocolate. I love it. 
and you throw a little salt in there with the peanuts and, and the caramel. I'm making you hungry. It's lunchtime, right? You want me to keep delving into that? But you know, Snickers really satisfies, right? Isn't that the commercial that it satisfies your hunger? Well, no, it only satisfies it temporarily. Because the reason you're hungry right now is because every day you have to eat to sustain this mortal body. You see, these people, this, this affirmation of having faith, they received a blessing or saw what was going to be fulfilled, and they did so because they wanted to please God. They had their hope in Him. But those little things that they had received here on earth paled in comparison to the real thing. You see, I can eat that Snickers, and it may stave off my hunger, but I'm going to be hungry again. But do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the, the Samaritan woman at the well? He said this. He said, I will give you water, and you will never thirst again. Wouldn't you like to have that water? The reason I left out of service a minute ago is because I didn't have a bottle of water. And I was a little bit parched, and y'all didn't want to see me up here spitting. This water, this life, Christ extends to you and me. He says in here, and these having gained approval through their faith. You know why sin is a problem? Because when we sin, it doesn't please God. The reason you repent from your sin is because you want to be pleasing to God. So why do you want to continue living a life in that sin when you know that sin is what's not pleasing to God? It doesn't make sense. Jesus and John the Baptist both in their early ministries preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And these focused on the promise of something to come. Their object of faith was God and it drove them to do really weird things. To leave their homes. To leave their people. To march around cities so walls would fall. Y'all get the gist? Some pretty strange stuff, isn't it? You can't even make this up. You know, there's a passage. If you back up, I want you to turn your, uh, if you've got your Bible or your device, go back to the end of chapter 10. I want you to look at verse number 36. You know, Fred did a great job last week uh, sharing with us about how, you know, we really need to move on from sinning. That's the progression. That was the warning. We drift away. We stop believing. We become dull to hearing. We go back to our sin. That's the progression of this falling away that, that the writer is calling them to. And he quotes Habakkuk 2. He says this, For you have need of endurance. And we're going to pick that up again in chapter 12. So what you have done, so, excuse me, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Pleasing God and God giving us life go hand in hand. If you're a believer this morning, and God's Spirit is inside of you, and you're continuing to pursue your sin, you are a miserable person. There's no wonder you keep running back to sin so that you can, you can kind of numb yourself. You, you do things to try to ignore what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And what He is saying to you is step out of death and step into life. And like these men that He's talking about, hold on to your faith. Now in the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 1, 
God reveals to Habakkuk that he's about to send the Babylonians in to take the Jews captive. And Habakkuk's like, this is really messed up. God, why would you send sinners in to hurt your family, your people? And so it says in chapter 2, he says, I'm going to go stand, Habakkuk says, I'm going to go stand on the tower and I'm going to watch. Like this so moved him. I think he got up every day and he went and he watched and he watched and he watched. But then God tells him to write the vision down. He said, for this vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. Say, wait for it. For it certainly will come, it will not delay. In other words, when God says it, he's gonna do it. But then he goes on to say, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Proud about what? The one who resists the word and the vision of God. Then he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. If you go back to chapter six, there's an extended paragraph about Abraham and Abraham's faith in God. And as the Bible says, it was imputed to him righteousness for his faith. When God said it, Abraham did it. And for you and I today, there's this invitation for you and I to hold out for something greater. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy. There is no Snickers bar in Christianity. Except for this, God sent his spirit. We get a taste of the heavenly when we experience the spirit inside of our life. The here and now that reveals something greater to come in that future. Again, he said to her, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But the water I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Do you want it now? The question is, do you want it now or do you want it later? Are you willing to live in the tension of waiting for something greater? And is in that, does that spur hope and faith in you to long to be in the presence of God someday? Number, point number two, and I've got to explain this one. Because when I say it, you're going to be like, what? That's a little weird. It makes me incomplete without others. Oh, he's all right, wait a minute. Wouldn't this make me complete? Nope. Listen to what it says again. Because God has provided something better for us. That, that's the essence of, of what's driving our hope. And then here's what he says. <clears throat> so that apart from us, say us, they would not be made perfect. Who are the they? Well, that's Abraham, that's Noah, that's Moses. That's all of these that he wrote about. That's those who received their dead back from resurrection. These were those that were stoned and sawn in two, tempted and put to death with the sword, living in caves and holes in the ground. They cannot be made perfect without us. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for us. Now listen, that's not, an inclusive view of the gospel. You ever heard that term before? Inclusive versus exclusive? Inclusive would say, well, Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the whosoever would believe, that is the us. Jesus is an extended offer to you, singular. Right? But he called us to be together as a unit. Remember what John, uh, Jesus uh, prayed in the book of John 17? 
He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone. He's praying for his disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word, the impact that these writings have, that they may be one. You're not here today by yourself. You didn't get here today by yourself. Somebody told you about Jesus Christ. Somebody told you about Ebenezer. Somebody told you about the Bible. Somebody gave you a Bible. Somebody gave you the opportunity to buy a Bible. Somebody printed that Bible. Somebody turned the lights on today. Somebody built this stage. Somebody prepared a lesson for you. Somebody studied to preach a message to you. You don't do this by yourself. This race that we're running is arm in arm. And I don't want one person falling behind. That's, that's what this author is trying to say. It ought to move and bother you if somebody is falling away. It ought to move you to tears. You need somebody in your life who can spur you on, who can encourage you, who will get down on their knees with you and pray, who will shed tears over your problems. That's the kind of believers you need in your life. And you need to be picky. You need to be choosy. If you've got somebody in your life that's beating you down, if you've got somebody in your life that's pulling you away from Christ and not pushing you toward Christ, if you've got somebody who's building their legalistic platform upon you and your, and, de and your deprecation, you don't need that in your life. Can I challenge you today? If you're trying to walk faith life by yourself today, make the decision to not do it anymore. Because we are incomplete without each other. We are incomplete without each other. I want it to burn in you as I think it burns in me that I want to run this race together. This isn't a race where I'm trying to beat you. This is a race that if you don't cross the finish line, I don't cross it either. That's the kind of race that we're running. Point number three, when I keep a hold of this better promise, it makes me want to persist under pressure. Look again at verse number one. Let me, let, me, let me lay this out. If you underline like I showed you last week, the primary verb is run. It's the command. Let us run. That's the centerpiece of this. Everything else is describing the scene. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, they have been there. They have done that. There's nothing that you and I can experience that they haven't experienced to the nth degree. And they are there not just going, bravo, Oh, come on, you can do this. They're not there just being a cheerleading squad. They are there saying, come on, you got this. Don't, 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 don't pay attention to that. Come on, come on. We got through worse than what you've been through. In fact, the author in, in a few verses later is going to say, you haven't even resisted to the point of bloodshed yet. No one's died yet. And you're falling away with the smallest of encumbrance. And he's saying, I need you to get this in your head, that there's people that have gone before you and they've ran the race. And then he says, there it says, let us, you can also say laying aside every encumbrance because it's describing us. We need to lay aside in the past tense and put aside the encumbrances and the sin. So, so here's how I run. First, I need to lay aside weight. Years ago, we used to do ministry up on the, um, on the uh, uh, Appalachian Trail. And there's a, there's a store there, and some of the hikers would start down in Dawsonville. And by the time they got to where we were, it had been about a week. And when they got there, they realized their bags were too heavy. It's stuff they packed, and, and they realized this isn't bad things. It's just, it's holding me down. And so they'd go in the store, and they had a delivery service where they would let, put it in a box and send it to their home or to a loved one so they could lessen the load. 
because it was stuff they didn't need. And so you and I too, we need to ask ourselves the question, are there things in our life that aren't necessarily bad, but they're holding me back from running? The second thing here is we need to repent and refuse sin. Why are we continuing to sin when Jesus covered it? As I said earlier, I'll say it again, you need to make a decision. Do I hate sin or do I love sin? Well, I like this little thing over here, and as long as I'm doing it in secret and nobody knows about it, it's not going to hurt anybody, but it costs you. How does it cost you? Because you can't run. Think about the weight being on your shoulder and that sin being strapped around your leg. But then the third thing he says is we need to run with endurance. All right, here's the question. How many of you in here would say absolute confidence, I am in shape? I'm in shape if pear is a shape. But what is endurance? What does it mean to have endurance? It means you have stamina. So if I ask everybody right now, let's go outside and we're going to run a lap around the parking lot. Some of you get the door and you'll be like, whew, I'm going to go sit back down in the air conditioning. But how do you build up stamina? How do you build up endurance? Every day you run. And the only way you and I are going to be able to run a race in a world that is holding us down with weights that are pulling us down is to run every day. My dad used to have these weights that he wore on his legs when he was a truck driver. He, he ran six, five or six loads a day, and so he'd get to the plant to unload his load, and he'd have these leg weights on. And so I thought, man, I'm going to put those on. I'm going to go try to jog in them. So I put, I think it were 10 pounds a leg. And so I'm, you know, I'm out there, and I'm walking, and you, know, you kind of acclimate to it. So I get in the house, and I take the, the weights off, and I look like Shaggy and Scooby-Doo because I'm, I'm used to wearing the weights. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? I mean, my dad had some big legs at the time. Folks, if you're going to build up your endurance, you're going to have to face the trials head on, running. Say run. You got to run. You can't, you can't hold back. You can't, you can't let these things surround you and let the worries of the world and the temptations of the world hold you back. You've got to run with endurance because when I run, it makes me run no matter what the obstacle is. You've watched track and field, and when you watch, uh, watch them run the high hurdles, the reason that that is so, um, so interesting to watch is because these people are running, and they're having to jump and run and jump and run and jump. And you know how those hurdles are, are designed. They're, they're designed to roll over if they catch it, catch it with their feet. That doesn't mean they don't stumble sometimes. But when we set aside the weights, when we set aside our sin, when I'm fixed to running with endurance, then there is no obstacle there is nothing that Jesus can't get me through. Why? Because he is the beginner, the ruler, and the completer of my faith. Maybe some of you need to hear this today. Your faith, your faith hinges on Christ. There's going to be days when you doubt. There's going to be ta- days when you get tired. There's going to be days when you want to throw in the towel. You've got to remind yourself, I need to fix my eyes on the one who started and will complete my faith journey. Stop making everything about you and start making it about him. You can't save this world, but you know the man who can. So I can run no matter what that obstacle is because what this does is it exemplifies that Jesus suffered the greatest suffering of all. He, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. But you know what's funny about this? 
not a ha-ha way, but kind of, kind of in an interesting way. Jesus went and died the most shameful death that you could die. It was a public execution hanging on the side of the road, most likely was very little clothing around him, if any at all. It was very humiliating, embarrassing. But Jesus said in John, now the Son of Man will be glorified. In his shame and his embarrassment, he was glorified. In your suffering, in your endurance, you're going to endure some hard things. But when we point it back to the right person, our suffering glorifies God. You will never experience the suffering that Jesus did. But, but here, remember this. If you die for your faith, who can take your life away? Who can snuff out your existence? Nobody. Nobody can take it from you. So no matter what, I want to run and run fast. Point number five, when I do this, when I hold on this better promise, it makes me focus on Jesus entirely. It makes me focus. I kind of wrote this statement. I want to read it very slowly. The things that have my heart occupy my wall. Laura and I were talking yesterday about decorating. In our old house, we had a small 8 by 10 family portrait. Hung over the, over the piano, and on the piano, we had all three of the kids' pictures on top of that. And on our stairwell, stairwell we had this uh, family matters. I can't remember exactly what the text says, but in that thing was a, was a scattering of family pictures. And You know why? Because my family occupies my heart. Does Jesus occupy your heart? Is he scattered on your walls? Is, is he what drives you that when you're in that moment of suffering, that instead of you crying out, God, I don't deserve this. God, where are you? You've let it happen to me again. What if your prayer changed to God? How can you be glorified in what I'm experiencing? That's a crazy question. But you, you see the difference? We love our comfortability in America. I didn't want to preach much on my experience this week. But one of the places we went to in Nicaragua was a place where the, the, the trucks dumped trash. It's not, a, not like up here. You know, we have transfer stations up here. You dump the trash in there, and they take it somewhere else, and, and it gets incinerated. No, they just dump this in a big place. And living around this were people and their families scavenging out of that garbage. Sobering thought, especially when you drive by and you see the kids playing in the street and happy. You're going, that doesn't make sense. Why would these kids be happy living in a dump? There's only one thing I could, I could think of. Jesus. No matter what you go through, when I focus entirely on Jesus, it, it makes a difference in the way that I see my life and the way I see others' lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 is clear. If Christ had not been raised, our faith is worthless and we're still in our sin. But he's given us a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. We have everything we need. It's almost like a nitrous oxide button on our gear stick. That I'm going through life and, it's, and things are weighing me down, all of a sudden I hit that button and Jesus has got a way for me just to propel forward. Fifth, uh, sixth point, 
When I hold on to the hope of a better promise, it makes me endure even when I'm weary. Listen to that last verse. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Now it's a direct imperative. He's saying you all consider Jesus so that you will not grow weary and by growing weary, you will lose heart. The danger you and I have is when we get down and we choose to stay down, that's when my heart gets heavy and then I'll start doubting the word of God. I'll start disbelieving the word of God. I'll become dull to the word of God and I'll fall right back into my old lifestyle and I'll fall away. When you and I are weary, we have to make a choice right then and there. Fix my eyes on Jesus because that's how he wants me to run. Because that last big, big point in your bulletin there, faith focuses hope on Christ alone. So, so let me just say this, and then, and then I'm going to ask Caleb to go ahead and come on up and start playing. Folks, the gospel is not about feel-good ideology, ideology to make you feel better about life. It's not a better club to which you sign up for. It's not something you can do to be cool or accepted by others. I mean, there's some aspects of it that replaces family for those of you that have had a dysfunctional family. But here's the truth. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus was glorified in his resurrection. The path for him to get to the right hand of the Father was the resurrection. And guess what he has for your future and mine? The resurrection if and only if I have put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I'm inviting you today, if you have not repented of your sins and turned away from that, and trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place today without doing business with the Lord. He defeated sin in your life. He defeated your adversary, Satan. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't not about you being uncomfortable. It's not about you getting your hands slapped. It's not about you being embarrassed. Jesus died for your punishment. That's crazy. You will not receive what you deserve because of what Jesus did on the cross. He despised the shame. He despised the means of death on a cross, that humiliation and that embarrassment for us, those who would believe in him. And because of that, as Peter affirms in 1 Peter 5, 10, after you have suffered for a little while, suffering is a norm for the Christian life. When you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, listen, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so this altar is going to be open this morning. I'm going to be standing over here to the side. If you'd like to be prayed for, if you need some counsel, we're here. We'll be in the Connection Center after service. There's three things I want to challenge you with. Number one, is God calling you to the abnormal? I think he calls us all to the abnormal. Is God speaking to you? Telling you to step out, calling you out. Is there something that God's put on your heart that you need to do? A means that you need to serve? A place that you need to be? If so, ask God to make it clear. Number two, have you run and you've just given up? I want to say, to this, I want to say this to you publicly. I am sorry if you have been hurt by the church. By this church or any church. That breaks my heart. But you know what? That's one of those weights that you need to choose today to sit on a shelf and start running. Because that's in the past. I've experienced church hurt that you can't even imagine. I'd have every reason to have hung up the pastorate a long time ago and stopped coming to church because of what people did. But you know what? This is a place of grace. 
Jesus himself from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Take that weight and put it on the shelf where it belongs. And lastly, and this is the challenging one, you need people. Stop trying to do the faith life by yourself. Find some believers who can encourage you, lift you up, pray with you, pray for you, spur you on. Because you need it. We need each other because you and I are incomplete without each other. I can't be the body of Christ by myself. We together are the body of Christ. So I want to ask, ask you to stand. And as we sing, this altar is open. Come do business with the Lord. Lay down those encumbrances. Lay down those sins. No one's going to judge you. If they do, I don't think that's a hope-filled place. You ignore them. But you come and pray while we sing this song.